Today we're hitting interest rates head on. What it means for you as a home hunter and what you can do about it. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're responding to a listener email. Jazz has been looking for a unicorn for about 18 months, and now her borrowing capacity is decreasing because of rising interest rates. This is a tough Mm. one and one that a lot of first-time buyers are facing. But before we get into that, uh, Megan, sitting on the video behind you is a house. I'm guessing I know what this one is. (laughs) Do you want to tell us what are you sitting in front of? Well, regular listeners will know that I have just started major renovations on my own home. So this is current state of what was a magnificent large back deck. That is the epitome Mm. of open plan. So they have so far ripped out um, half the house, back of the house. So the uh, this is a 1930s Ashgrovian that had an extension put on it in 1990, which wasn't really in keeping with the house and there were some ceiling heights that weren't great. So we're actually ripping that whole extension off and then once that's done, the house will be raised. I cannot wait to put those photos online for you to have a look at because <laughs> raising a house is just such an interesting thing to experience and um, you're gonna get you're going to get to see it. It's such a Brisbane thing. I just can't imagine it. But it's funny, actually, in Facebook, you know, in Facebook, you get your Facebook memories yeah. pop up. And my the second, the middle renovation I did, I've done three renovations. The middle one, it came up as a memory from about 12 years ago. And, you know, when it was a basically the back end of it was demolished oh, and wow. the whole construction side, I was like, oh, memories. <laughs> it's always, you, you get excited. I always get a bit sad. I always feel like, oh, but I anyway, I lived in that house for some time before I, before I, you know, d- we yeah, demolished yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, mine was two years, so it, it has. Um, but I've never liked this horrid extension at the back, so I'm happy to get rid of it. Onward and upward. All, All right. right, onward and upward, onward and out, <laughs> as in your walls. <laughs> All right. So this is a great um, email. It's a long um, and quite detailed. We won't read you the whole thing. We'll read you snippets of it, but. Um, you know, if it wasn't hard enough to buy in the past two years, like poor first home buyers are really getting a double whammy with interest rates increasing, aren't they? 
Yeah, and look, I've seen this in our buyers agency and also just talking to people uh, and even within our members' social wall. You know, it, it's it, talking to mortgage brokers. Um, they're saying that what someone could have purchased a property for, sorry, borrowed money to purchase mm. a property for 12 months ago is so significantly less now. Um, so let's go and, and have a look at that. You know, we received a, an email from a regular listener to the podcast and there's a lot to unpack there. So we thought we'd actually divide it into two episodes, focusing mainly next week. We're going to unpack questions around how to stay motivated when the search drags on and on without success and you have to adjust your budget down. But Veronica, this week, the most asked question I have, you know how 12 months ago it was, you know, what do I do? I'm, I keep missing out. How do I not miss out? How do I put myself in the best position in this rapidly rising market? The biggest question that we are getting asked now, whether it's at a barbecue, by the taxi driver, or any of our members is, how do we cope with rising interest rates? Yes. And it's a big one. I mean, I'm impacted too. I think, oh God, you know, there's one of my fixed rates came up at precisely the wrong time and it made it I actually really- came off fixed rate today. There you go. Yeah. So it's real. A rude shock, I have to tell you. Awesome rate. (laughs) Beforehand, yeah. Yeah. Mine was sub 2% before. I was like, yeehaw, but now it's not so yeehaw, it's yeehaw. So, but the thing is, we are, we we are. Yes, I know, having to budget for a while. The thing that's important, though, and we will probably talk about this more in the second half of this, um, this episode, if you like, two episodes, but next episode. Next week. Um, is that once you own a property, you do have options as long as you have equity in that property. And, you know, for someone like me, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, if things do get a lot more expensive, I can actually refinance. I can stretch it out. There's things that I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's because I've been in the market a long time and I've got good assets and, um, you know, made a lot of I have very low debt compared to what a uh, first home buyer would have. Um, so, you know, I think the scary thing at the moment is that what was the biggest hurdle for first home buyers was the deposit hurdle. Yeah, yeah. Now the biggest challenge really is that it, particularly for those that have saved a lot um, and really been waiting for prices to fall, what they've been whacked with is a distinct, distinctly different borrowing capacity so it's mm. great they've got a good um good deposit but it sort of even puts in in i guess into doubt some of the federal government schemes for the first home buyer you know the five percent scheme it's like well you're going to be borrowing 95 percent property or even 100 percent if you're borrowing costs um it's all right that you don't get have to pay a lender's mortgage insurance insurance yeah. mm. but if your borrowing capacity has fallen by 20 or 30 percent then you're not going to be buying much there's uh, there's a few adjustments that need to be made here, Veronica. Let's look at some numbers that give people an idea of, of what this is actually meaning to real people. Mm. I um I did a quick online calculation just using one of the bank's calculators to see how much more you'd pay on a six hundred thousand dollar loan um, when it was at two point nine nine percent, which was not too too many months ago versus mm. 5.14 which is um a discounted variable rate for the same lender it's almost 890 dollars a month more mm. now, that's i don't know about you but for the average home owner or 
purchaser. Mm. That is, that's not easy money to find. And then particularly if you've stretched yourself initially to get into a place and you haven't left a lot of buffer in your, in your, your budget. Um, but I guess the thing that you and I are particularly interested in, in talking about today is what if you're actually not a homeowner yet? And you're a hunter, which is most of our listeners. They're a home hunter. They're not in the ownership space yet. They're in the purchasing and searching phase. So what do rising interest rates mean for you if you are still in search mode? I think the the biggest impact and the one that's not being talked about as much in the media is, of course, how much you can borrow. Yeah. So let's look at what um, what this listener wrote to us about her situation. Well, she dealt with a few different mortgage brokers and wasn't too impressed with the advice that she'd been given or or not given at all, really, mm. by the sounds of it. So she said that she found another mortgage broker via her family who's amazing. He did our borrowing capacity because earlier on she said that the first mortgage broker didn't even tell her what her capacity was. Oh, my God. How do you go um, shopping and searching without knowing how much Really knowing. Nuts. Yes. <laughs> and, it, and he told her, oh, it's in lockdown, you shouldn't be buying or something according. You know, and it's like just... This is, you know, our big thing is about people staying in their lane. Yeah. You know, th- this is a broker that just should have just done his job and not tried to offer free advice about things that really aren't his business. Anyway, so uh, she obviously had that. And what, what she didn't know, and so she, this reading what she said, and what I didn't know all these months was when the interest rises were happening, we were losing borrowing capacity. So they were saving. So over this period of time, they'd saved up an extra $50,000 from, I think, when they first got this broker, mm. but they can still only afford the same value house, so an $850,000 house, and houses come haven't come down. So basically it meant that the, the type of property they could buy or the value of the property they could buy hadn't changed even though they'd been busy saving. Yeah, um, and they, they did some great saving. I mean, I really yeah. want to take my hat off to, to this couple. Yeah. They started off with $100,000 in savings and then uh, by April 22, they had $150,000 saved mm. and um, now they've got 200000 So they've been really, really diligent in and, and probably screaming and saving. She says they're, they're low-income earners, so they've worked really hard to save that much money. You know, credit Incredible. to you. Yeah. I mean, the one silver lining about this is that if you, the bigger deposit you've got, the lower percentage of, you know, borrowing is going to be on, on the property. So your lower uh, loan to value ratio. And so your lower repayments and also just more equity in the property. So she's going to be, they're going to be a lot more secure once they do finally buy. So I just mm. want to say there is something good about this because I know I you'd think be the thinking. Other thing too, Veronica, is um, looking at the banks and certainly talking to mortgage brokers, the, um, the more that you put in as opposed to how much the bank puts in, sometimes the better the interest rate you get as well. Yes, yes. So the higher your deposit, you can actually end up with a lower interest rate. So they've been incredible savers, which is great, Mm. but they didn't, I guess, until now start to really fully understand the big picture. And and so this is the thing, and this is what a lot of first-home buyers make this mistake. They really do think, okay, I've just got to head down, bum up, and I've got to save, save my deposit, which is great. You do have to do that. But at the same time, you have to be learning about the importance of borrowing capacity. And if you remember Stuart Weems, who we have interviewed on this podcast, he's a um, he's a financial planner and a mortgage broker, and he's also the, episode um, 28, if you want right, to refer back you. to Right, thank you. Excellent. Go back, and, and it's all about borrowing strategy and also um, – his podcast is great just for learning some of this really financial literacy type stuff, right? Really, really good. Now, he understands property too. 
he does, so, which is really unusual. Yeah, really unusual. <laughs> for someone in the numbers game. So, but he talks about borrowing capacity being asset in itself. Like, and and I think so being a scarce asset. And I think that's what's really shown itself to be true under these circumstances that as your borrowing capacity shrinks, you suddenly see something that sort of it's like a puff of smoke is just gone. Yeah. Um, and if you had bought though, then you've got it. It's yours. Do you know what I mean? If you bought and committed to that mortgage, it, it's got it. But it's until you actually do something with that capacity, it isn't working for you. And it could go on on the basis of policy changes, interest rate rises, mm. um, legis- uh, the um, the regulators getting involved. There's all sorts of things that can make it quite a fragile thing. And I guess that's the, the lack of understanding around that. And even I've really only wrapped my head around this this concept in, in recent years mm. that missed opportunity isn't so much prices rising it's your opportunity to buy that's the missed opportunity so that's that's the challenge here and that's what we we've got to sort of it's you know it's the elephant in the room in a way (laughs) (laughs) well it is it's something that's not even talked about because we talk about it in your first home buyer guide Mm. and and the course and in in terms of setting yourself up for success how important that first part that um, pre-planning that building your team you pulling your support crew together is and a big part of that is the financial um, understanding of, of it and, and through mortgage borrowing uh, mortgage brokers borrowing capacity impacts you know little things like um credit card limits we you know mm. we talk about how it's not just how much you owe it's how much you, your limit is that that impacts so getting financially fit is a really big part of that preparation phase um now veronica first time buyers are the fastest shrinking segment of the property market right now because their borrowing mm. capacity is hit the hardest as interest rates rise. Yeah. But they're also the most vulnerable to interest rate rises once they've purchased because typically they have the lo- um, the ho- highest loan-to-value ratios, LBRs, the least amount that they actually own of the property and the highest amount that they actually owe. So it's, it is a really... Um, precarious position to be in, but you can actually, you, know, you can be in control. And I guess that's what we want to talk about in this episode is how do you get control of this when you don't have control of interest rate rises? Yeah, because this is, and, and there'd be obviously a huge amount of fear about, well, if I do buy, like I've got a settlement period mm. and in that settlement period, could interest rates go up even more? And, you know, at this rate, they probably could. And, and, What's that going to do to my repayments that I can't even lock it in now? You know, <laughs> so, um, because if I settle in in four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever, um, I'm going to be settling, and I'm subject to whatever the situation is then. And so you obviously got to be able to budget to be able to afford repayments at uh, an even higher level than they currently are. And so that's a bit of a challenge. Mm. One of the things, and it's funny because I was actually watching, I can't even remember what show it was, but it was a current affair type show. And they were talking about um, the unemployment rate. And so for the first time ever, there's more jobs advertised than there are people actually looking for jobs. Mm. But Mm. also they were talking about the casual employment numbers and that the amount of people with an existing job taking a second job working in casual employment is on the rise. Mm. Now, I remember because I was a uni student in the end of the 80s. I know I'm showing my age here. So I was a uni student and I worked second jobs in bars and restaurants and whatever. And nearly everyone that I worked with was a homeowner who had taken a second job in order to pay their mortgage. Mm. Mm. Now, this is 
potentially something that might have to happen and first home buyers might have to sort of think, okay, for a couple of years, I'm going to have to take a second job and in order to supplement the income. Yeah. Mm. And it's, some, it's um, you know, this was, as I said, I worked, I, I could list off the people, I'm remembering them as, you know, that I used to work with and, you know, they were the ones caught with 17% interest rates. Yeah. So they oh, certainly remember those days. Oh my oh. god, awful! I had they a look def- at rates table from the eighties or nineties, I think it was, because mm. you used to actually look at rates tables to calculate how much your repayments <laughs> would be. They were they were a book a before the internet. <laughs> book before the internet, and they started Veronica at about six percent. Wow! So they didn't even have calculations for interest rate payments below six percent in in. Um, I want to say those days. It's not that long ago. Well. Um, <laughs> it's like a couple of lifetimes ago. I bought my first house in 1998, and I think our rate was somewhere around eight. Yes, well, I, my first home loan, I locked in part of it, um, fixed rate, and half of that was at sort of 9.85%, and I thought I was on a good deal. Yes. So it is it is all relative, right? And also it, we d- weren't dealing with such high prices as compared mm, to um, mm. to wages back then. Certainly. So th- there's certain variables here. But the point I'm trying to make, though, is that this might be a period of time, if you're serious about being a first, uh, being a home buyer, you know, you, you, you're watching your window of opportunity closing and you're realising that actually rising prices wasn't your biggest enemy. Your biggest enemy was rising interest rates. Mm. And the rising interest rates is basically, I mean, you can't play in the game, whereas rising prices means you're fighting other buyers. Right, it's actually not quite as bad in retrospect. All of a sudden, go bring me back rising prices and low interest rates <laughs> and low interest know. rates. Yeah. yeah, and and look, buying a property is never easy. You know, um, the thing is though, it's it's a matter of right. Well, how serious am I going to be about this? You know, will I will I do that if I have to? Will I take a second job for two mm-hmm. years that will allow me to make sure that I can make those repayments at a higher level, um, have some level of life maybe in between jobs <laughs> but um you know suck it up for for a period of time to do that and that and that's that's i think a very legitimate approach <laughs> to to dealing with this because you know now we're really serious about what if it means you can never buy if if that was what you're being told you know what this might run ahead of me mm-hmm. I, this is not my opportunity anymore i won't be able mm-hmm. to do this at all if that's what you were you were offered Take a second job, or just never buy your own home. What would you never do? Buy. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's a legitimate thing. And and um, I remember having a second job um, when I was early in my career and bought my first house because I wanted to do some renovations and I didn't have any spare cash, so I had to supplement my income somehow if I wanted to keep mm. moving along that ladder and using that stepping stone. I didn't know it was called a stepping stone strategy that back then, by the way, but that's actually <laughs> what it was. Um, but I had to get the funds from somewhere, and you know, my income in the job that I was in at the time was going to grow over time. So I knew that was going to happen, but it wasn't going to happen at the pace that I mm. wanted to actually use property and 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 improve the property to live in. Remember, my first house was almost falling off the stumps. So it didn't require immediate it repair. It was urgent. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't have functioning um, plumbing. Anyway, uh, now we have talked about how borrowing capacity is calculated in both in calculated in episodes nine with David Johnson and 28 with Stuart Wims. So let's not go into detail here, um, but go back, review those. They're important. But essentially, a lender will calculate how much they will lend you by adding a buffer to the interest rate on offer at the time. So at the moment, the, the buffer is sitting around 3%. I, well, it I, is 3%, actually, is because 3%. Um, APRA have yep. dictated 
um, that there has to be a buffer. And they actually increased that just before interest rates started rising because they knew that interest rates were going to rise. They're worried that loans were being assessed at a rate that was too, with, it, with that buffer that was too slim given how low rates were at the time. So they raised it. Um, and of course, now there's some talk about this being lowered because there's a lot of people saying, well, it doesn't need to be 3% more than the official rate anymore because rates have risen. So therefore you can lower your buffer. Um, and that's almost leave- a circular uh, argument, isn't it? Because <laughs> yes. there's no there's no actual talk of interest rates not increasing because inflation still isn't under control. So as monetary policy is a mechanism to control inflation, they actually haven't achieved that yet with, with mm. this monetary policy. So um, look, personally, I think you should always have in your own calculations a buffer of at least 3%, if not more, to mm. from your own serviceability point of view. So if if but, that does if that does happen, Veronica, it will ease the pressure on borrowing capacity. But you still yourself you have to make sure that you can afford some reasonable interest rate rises when you're doing your own personal budget. And and you know we don't want to encourage people to lessen that. We're talking more about the potential to ease pressure on borrowing capacity from assessment point of view by the bank. Yes. And the problem is, of course, that a minute that's eased, then there's there's potentially some upward pressure on prices as well. So all of these things have, you know, domino effects. Um, and so even people saying, oh, well, I'm going to wait then until they lower the buffer, mm. um, you might find that, oh, bubba, you know, like <laughs> is another way that things have got Here out of hand. Yeah. You've got to deal with what? what the circumstances are at the time. And this these are the circumstances at the time. And interestingly enough, I was reading an article that said that in previous market downturns, certainly the last two, and even right back to the GFC, the federal government has responded, and even state governments have as well, by actually trying to stimulate the first-time buyer yeah. segment of the market. Yes. But with rising interest rates, that's not really possible. All their stimulations sort of get get evaporated by the fact that rates are rising. So this this is a different situation yeah. to previous downturns, certainly over the last decade. Mm, mm, very different economic environment. So let's look at an example of this, Veronica. At the present time, if you were eligible for an interest rate of 2.99% 12 months ago, which was probably you know not the sharpest rate that you could get, you could probably do a little bit better, but I, I just know this is a real example. Um, you may have been assessed against your ability to service a loan at 5.99%, so adding that 3% to the 2.99. Let's say the bank would lend you 750000 at 2.99% back then. Based on your income and other financial circumstances and everything that goes into assessing your, your um, borrowing capacity, Again, this is based on a real example of a first-home buyer. Today, with the applicable variable rate from that lender now being 5.14%, the same lender would assess you at 8.14%. And this really decreases how much they'll lend you. Now, I've got a friend who had pre-approval in February for $750,000 plus a deposit of $186,000 plus purchasing costs. So that was how he calculated how he could put a purchase together. So all up, he was looking at a purchase price of 930000 plus he had on top of that his purchase costs. Looking at what he can borrow now, that's actually come down. He went back to the bank last week because he thought he'd found a property for around nine hundred that that suited and, and um, was a good opportunity for him, good quality property in the area that he's interested in. He can now only borrow $600,000. So if you add his deposit of 186,000, it means his new purchase price has come down to 786,000. 
but it's such a different property in a different location. So that's that's a big drop, isn't it, in terms of your purchase price, Veronica? It's a huge drop. Um, and I'm looking at that thinking, you know, no wonder first home buyers are just saying that's it, I'm not going to buy, you know, <laughs> because what it's it also because one thing after another really isn't well it? that's it it's hard mm. enough let's face it um and then you set your heart and you think great i'm going to buy my forever home perhaps i don't know what nine hundred thousand dollars nine hundred thirty thousand dollars buy something fairly decent in brizzy does not it? really does it? not anymore no, no, not anymore <laughs> so sometimes so, the boys that used to purchase for maybe six fifty seven hundred they're, they're up over the 900s now for a similar property way to go mm. and that's an important point too because people are assuming that price is just going to fall to the equivalent of what your borrowing capacity has fallen. And it's like, well, you know, I can't borrow that much money now and neither can anyone else, so surely I should be able to, you know, afford to pay that price. And the problem is that if someone, if the market really did fall like that and any owner that doesn't have to sell just won't sell their property. Yeah. They'll just yeah, park it and wait. actually puts a lot of pressure on supply. It does, and then that then puts pressure on prices and the people that can access the money, they will buy the properties. There'll be less of them, but there's less properties to buy. And so this is the sort of reason why um, high interest rates doesn't completely translate into uh, lower prices mm. in quite the same way you might think if you watch and read all the headlines. Yeah, And, in fact, there's a lot of other variable factors that go into um into falling prices and it just it's not a nice little linear that plus that equals that yes, you know it's yes. um that minus that issue yeah creates, <laughs> that minus know, that equals opportunities that. yeah so and that's very disappointing for first home buyers and I, I, a lot of time i think is wasted in with your head spinning trying to make sense of what's going on so i think some some tough decisions have to be made don't they I, I certainly think so. And and the difficult thing for first home buyer for any buyer, but you know, for first home buyers, and let's look at look at my friend's situation. He's got some really difficult decisions to make. You mm. know, he he could, you know, one of one of his options is to save more money and hope that he can outsave the market and stay in the same price range as he was previously looking at. So that that involves him doing something. And we talked about one of those options being getting a second job, mm. maybe applying for a promotion. Um, there, there are only some people in some circumstances that have control over their ability to increase their income. We're not saying that is the what you should do. It's just one of his options that he's got to look at. Now, he works for government, so his ability to increase his income is based purely on whether he can get a promotion um, and when those promotions come up or going and getting a second job. Mm. Which is tough, but, you know, as I said, it's the, the time is... is um, now to make these tough calls the interesting thing and the wonderful thing for anyone who does decide to get a second job is that honestly that is so easy to get a second job at the moment <laughs> yes there's a lot of employment opportunities that's true a lot particularly in hospitality so yes. you know there's which uh, <laughs> can work around a, a full-time job you, yeah. you can actually fit that around a full-time job in those flexible kind of casual roles which is precisely what all those people that i used to work with did you know yeah. um waiters and bars and bartenders and whatever um so so at least least circumstances in many ways are actually in your favour if that's the case. Um, I think also saving to outsave the market is also a little bit dangerous. Mm. So um, and a lot of this, the answer depends on what stage of your life you're in. I'm guessing that 
Jazz, who is the the woman who sent us this email, um, reading her situation, it doesn't. There's no kids involved. Mm. She does have a, a, a father work, living with them who isn't able to work. He's he's um dis, I think he's got a disability. Mm. Um, so there's certain risk requirements that they need in a property. And I think you can be a lot more flexible about what you buy and where you buy um, when you are younger and yeah. child-free mm-hmm. than when you have children. Obviously, that that puts some more restrictions on. So, you know, it all depends on your own personal situation, but the more flexibility that you have in terms of what you could live in or where you could live, mm-hmm. um, that does give you many more options to look at uh, if you are in this situation. Certainly. Certainly. But if you don't have that flexibility, you've got some other really tough decisions to make. Yeah. Another option to look at is accept that he now has a maximum purchase price of $786,000. Now, that's hard. When you've been looking at things that are in an area that you like and with features that you like and they're in what you deem to be a comfortable price range and, and they're a quality property, to then go and start looking at properties that are a hundred and you're quicker that probably this than there. Oh, well, it's roughly $150,000, let us give or take. $150,000 less. $144,000 actually, but anyway. There you go. Uh, $144,000 less than what you've been looking at. They're two vastly different mm. products. So whether he looks at changing the property type to adjust his expectations down might be able to stay in the same area but be in a townhouse rather than a house or a unit rather than a townhouse Um, the features maybe he's got the flexibility to look at two bedroom rather than a three bedroom or something that needs work Um, and there are some opportunities come out coming up in properties that need work because it's hard to get builders and renovate so that's a whole nother episode let me let me tell you, getting uh, <laughs> the properties that are coming back on the market that people bought as renovators or knockdowns, there is some potentially good buying opportunities there. And I just want to just ju- go on a tangent just for a moment. There's a very real example of one that was bought in July 2021 for $1.32 million. It was a knockdown and that just resold for $1.25 million in an A-grade suburb, very good street, good, nice flat block of land, easy build. Um, That's really what we're seeing. And I know we're talking about a very different price range there, Mm. but that's starting to cascade through to all price levels in in properties that need quite a bit of work because people can't get the builders and do the work that they had anticipated they might be able to do. So potential opportunities coming up for those who have a strong um, constitution for when it comes to living in something that may be a little a little less than what you'd like it to be like for a period of water, time. Falling off the stumps. <laughs> <laughs> it's all possible. I lived in that uh, house while it was renovated. Oh, and when you're young, do all sorts of things. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I think too that um, it, it is the quicker you can make this decision, and we always like to say, take your time to make sure you're doing it right, mm. but. It's isn't there a saying for this? It's like you just got to have some sense of urgency without being panicked. Yeah, and yeah. and and it really is about the fact that we don't know how far um, rates are going to rise, mm-hmm. um, and we don't know. And and this is not going to reverse to where it was. And I think that's the important thing too. So waiting for things to settle down, as I said, could mean you never buy a property. And yeah. we don't want that for you. We want you buying a good property and it might be something smaller, less, ex- less exciting than what you were thinking you were going to get. 
swallowing that pill can be a little bit challenging, but the longer you take to swallow that pill, the worse off you're going to be. Really. Yeah, certainly. And, um, and waiting for prices to fall is not a strategy. So even though I made reference to a particular type of, of property that is experiencing some um, adjustments at the moment, I think that's adjustments of, a, of too high a base that it got to and it's probably well, adjusting yeah. down to where it should probably be. Yeah. And mm. listen, I t- also, uh, just yesterday for the Elephant in the Room podcast, we interviewed a sales agent that I know very well. He's a very smart guy, really um, quite nuanced in his approach to talking about the market. He's mm. not usually a typical sales guy. But, you know, I was actually even challenging him because he was talking about what he, what the conversations he has with owners about prices are falling and you're going to get less than you got last year and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, hang on a minute. I've actually been tracking sales of properties that had sold in 2021 and resold in 2022 in these areas, inner Sydney, granted expensive areas, but it's the principle I'm talking about here. Not one of them has sold for less money. Not one. There's some pretty shit properties in there too. Is it? And even one was sold in April 2022 and then on sold in August 2022. I would definitely call that a C-grade property. It had a tiny, tiny sliver of a gain and and in nominally they made money, but they would have lost money in terms of their costs. Mm, but it actually mm. still sold for a little bit more than it sold for in April. And the official figures are saying that prices have fallen in that time, but actually this property technically should have fallen because if everything's falling, this property is crap and it should have fallen. It Even it didn't fall. So some of them had really high gains over that period. So that mixed, they're not all the same. But the point, and I said to this agent, I said, you're, you're saying all, you know, prices are falling. The bottom, the problem is that your agency t- sold two of these and they didn't sell for less money. So there's a lot of rhetoric out there that mm. I think is informed a lot by the media and you really do have to get down to a, pro- a property by property basis. And so if you're sitting there thinking it's all right, things will fall, things will fall, we'll be proven right, we'll be proven right, I would just think, mm, think again. Yeah, and, and different property types, as you say, because you know, you're talking about a C-grade property that didn't fall. Mm. I know that walk-in ready family homes in family-oriented suburbs are still experiencing price increases. Oh, yeah. They go for frogs in socks. Still (laughs) really strong demand for those. Mm. And, and, uh, oh, God, you just throw that's not. Can you just cut that out? Sorry. (laughs) I've just got a different (laughs) vision then. It's because I said frog in sock. Look, look. No, we don't. I think we should leave that in. No. <laughs> yeah, me, Megan, Megan's got speechless because I said frog in sock. The the problem is, and, and what we're doing, we're, we're ranting a little bit. We've gone slightly off piste. The problem is that making decisions or assumptions around what's going to happen in the market and holding out, particularly for a first home buyer, is way more way more vulnerable mm. um, for a first home buyer to do this than it is for someone who's already in the market right? They're in the market, then sort of the market will do what it does. It doesn't matter. They've still got a property and at some point they can leverage from that. Whereas you're not yet in it if you're listening to this podcast, generally speaking. And so you're the decision-making around what you do is a lot more critical mm-hmm. and and your opportunity to be a homeowner is potentially um, more at risk. You know, so so even though we talk about these circumstances around people that 
do own property, this is what you have to look forward to if you do get yourself into the market and get a good asset. And good assets can be $786,000 if they're at the appropriate asset in the right location. Likewise, a good asset could be $930,000 as with your friend's budget. It doesn't mean that you can't buy a good asset. It just means you have to adjust maybe where, like Megan said, where or the property type. I would highly encourage you to go and do the where to buy workshop. And if you've already done it with your previous Mm. budget, I recommend you doing it again with your new budget. I think it's something that you can continually revisit and we do talk about that in the tutorial and that that is you might start with a price and your 3P mix being um, in a a certain pattern and that, you know, property property price and um, position, but that can change over time and revisiting that as you learn more about the market and more about yourself and more about what your compromises are and what your non-negotiables are it's a really good thing and once you've bought it you've got forever access to it so it's Mm. not it's not like you can't keep going back and revisiting it's actually it's designed for you to revisit um, as things change bargain really but um (laughs) All right, so the other choice that he has is to throw his hands in the air and hope that prices will drop to his new budget. Which and I think I've just tackled that one. talked about that and it's just <laughs> not the option. <laughs> oh, my God. Or as listen, uh, our listener Jazz asked, do we give up, quit our jobs and travel around in my van infin- in- infinitely so we can stop living in the shoebox free <laughs> <laughs> There's something to Look, be I said like for that. I like that as a lifestyle. For some people, that would be an awesome way to avoid um, the problems of interest rates and property prices, but probably not if you do at one point in time want to own a property. We'll tackle that question in more depth in the next episode. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.